This is John Ensminger, General Manager of the Southern Nevada Water Authority in Las Vegas Valley Water District, and you're listening to the Water Values Podcast. The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. By Black & Veatch, building a world of difference. By 120 Water, new rules need new tools. By 1898 Co., possibilities powered by experience. By Woodard & Curran, high-quality consulting engineering, science, and operations services. By Interra, innovation and stewardship for a sustainable tomorrow. And by Xylem, let's solve water. This is session 252. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGibson. Well, hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGinsey and thank you so much for joining me. We have a fantastic show for you today. My law partner and cybersecurity and data privacy lawyer, Kyle Miller, joins us. This is the first time I've had a Denton's lawyer on the podcast after 251 episodes. This is the 252nd. And I've had uh, multiple lawyers on from other firms. That would include James Eklund, Scott Slater, Brent Fuel, just to name a few. So when I wanted to do another episode on cybersecurity or water utilities, uh, because you know it's been a couple years uh, since the last one we did on cybersecurity, and a lot has happened, including the recent FBI warning on China's potential to launch cyber attacks on U.S. critical infrastructure, uh, which unfortunately happened after we recorded the episode. Uh, so So in any event, I wanted to turn to someone I knew and trusted and that's Kyle Miller. And Kyle delivers a great and insightful look at why cybersecurity is important, why it's easy to have a false sense of security, where some resources are, and how utilities should approach cybersecurity with teams rather than in silos. You are going to really enjoy this episode uh, because it's so important for our U.S. critical infrastructure, not just for the water sector. It goes, sector, it goes, it goes well beyond that. Well, as you know, we always say thank you to our awesome sponsors at the top of every show, and we have some fantastic sponsors for 2024. Our 2024 sponsors include the American Water Works Association, Black & Veatch, 120 Water, 1898 & Co., Woodard & Curran, and Xylem. And that, my friends, is a terrific collection of impactful companies that have decided to support water industry, thought leadership, and education, and I thank you all. And I'd like for you, the listener, if you would please, to do me a favor. If you work for or with any of those sponsors, please thank your boss or thank your contact at the sponsor firm and let them know you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. You would be surprised how far that simple little note of thanks will go. And as long as you're letting sponsors know you appreciate their support of water industry education thought leadership, hey, why not leave a rating interview on Apple Podcasts or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on? It'd be greatly appreciated and, of course, helps others find out about the podcast. And also, while you're doing that, please don't forget to click the subscribe button to the podcast. Yes, those subscriptions are important. Well, now it's time for the main event, our interview with Kyle Miller. So let's get that water flowing. Kyle, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. Great to have you on. How are you today? 
I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Love, love, uh, the, the, the topic we're going to discuss today, which is cybersecurity. And Kyle, for those who may not uh, be familiar with you, which I would guess is the majority of our listeners, uh, could you give a little thumbnail on who you are and, and how you came to be in your present position? Absolutely, David. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited to be here and, and uh, talk to you um, about cybersecurity in the, in the water industry. Um, I am a data privacy and cybersecurity attorney. I'm a partner at Denton's, uh, the world's largest law firm. Before I was a lawyer, though, uh, I worked in IT. I have a master's degree in applied information technology, and I worked in network administration and managed network administration and information security for a healthcare data analytics company. And uh, in going to law school, wanted to work uh, right right at that intersection to help companies deal with the the legal requirements and the legal impact of cybersecurity and data privacy. And there are a few areas where it's more important than the water industry right now. Yeah, absolutely. There have been a number of uh, recent incidents. So could you kind of give us a background on what has transpired recently in in the cybersecurity and water nexus? Absolutely. So we've seen seen, uh, an increase in what I would call traditional additional cyber attacks. And these are uh, the the same sort of attacks that we're seeing across all industries. Um, In November of last year, uh, uh, the the water utility in Paris, and I will not attempt the the French pronunciation, but it goes by the the initialism S-I-A-A-P, they provide wastewater services for around 9 million residents of Paris. And a, an unknown threat actor was able to infiltrate their information technology systems um, and uh, and disrupt them. We also saw the Dexin team, and I want to specify that's D-A-I-X-I-N, and I want to, want to say that's Dexin, not Texan, because it's confusing because they were able to infiltrate the North Texas Municipal Water District that serves Plano and Fresco. Um, and while there wasn't an operational effect to their customers, uh, they were able to deploy ransomware, which disrupted their phone systems, their IT systems. These, these cyber attacks are, are motivated by profit. And every company across every industry is facing these right now, where a uh, threat actor will get in, deploy ransomware on the system, encrypt your files, and say, pay us for the key, right? Or they will take personal data that can then be sold, or they'll take personal data and ask for a ransom not to sell that. So the water industry faces um, faces that threat the same as any other. However, more, I would say, uh, concerning is the rise of political actors um, that have been targeting water companies. So in December, we saw a, uh, a just a, a rash of attacks from an, a threat actor affiliated with the Iranian nation state called Cyber Avengers. And for the listeners, if you're not familiar and want to look them up, they spell Avengers, A-V, the letter three, N-G-E-R-S, and the Cyber Avengers targeted 
water utilities globally that used uh, Israeli technology. So there was a, a programmable logic controller from a, a, a company based in Israel and that they were able to exploit. And so they found uh, water utilities that had used, that were using this technology. They exploited a known vulnerability uh, and they did a range of things, uh, including posting anti-Israeli prop propaganda um, on the, the water company's uh, systems to even disrupting them. So uh, several utilities in the United States um, came forward and, and, and said that they uh, uh, that the cyber Avengers had um, had infiltrated their their systems, um, including the Aliquippa Water Authority in Pennsylvania, the Vero Beach Water Sewer Utility in Florida. But CISA reports that there were many more utilities in the United States that were affected by this. And at least one utility in, in Ireland, the Binghamstown Drum Private Water Scheme, uh, it's reported that they were actually unable to deliver water uh, to their customers for two days uh, because of the, um, the, the attacks of this of this entity that that wanted to uh, champion its its cause um, by attacking these these Western companies using Israeli technology on something that that your listeners probably find pretty innocuous, just a a a, a specific type of logic controller. But I don't want to uh, only show the 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 threats um, against. Uh, I would say the U.S. public policy interests or European public policy interests, because we also saw a group called the Blackjack Group. They're related to Ukraine, uh, and they have attacked many Russian companies, including Rosvodokanal, which is the largest water utility in Russia. And they uh, impacted their ability to provide water to Moscow citizens in December as well. It's easy to hear just a litany of of cyber attacks and say, yes, yes, I know, I know, right? The, there's there's a threat out there. There's um, uh, we we call it breach fatigue in in the industry that we you get notices every day. Yes, someone else was attacked. Yes, our information got out. Um, but I think it's important to re recognize that that you and I here we're we're speaking towards the end of January. Everything I just listed has happened within the last 60 days. And the, the rise in uh, nation-state-affiliated threat actors targeting water companies, I think, is, is very con concerning, and we should, all, we should all be paying close attention to that. Do you, do you have any information on how these threat actors gained access or, or infiltrated the utilities? I mean, is, is, yeah. is this just like poor password protection, or is it something, something deeper? In the instance of cyber vendors, uh, it's it's uh, poor poor cybersecurity um, on setup. So these these controllers came with a default administrator credential, including a username and a password. The password was one 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 one, and the utilities that set these up didn't change the password. And so uh, when these controllers were connected to the broader Internet, um, it was trivial, uh, we would say, to be able to to get into them. The 
the the bigger concern is whether a threat actor could then move laterally across systems impacting both the operational technology and the information uh, technology, or if they just had access to one controller, which is where they were, were posting anti-Israeli propaganda. Um, that, that's sort of good news and bad news. The, uh, the good news is some of these attacks aren't necessarily what we would call sophisticated attacks. They're, they're actually simple attacks that would be simple to mitigate. The bad news is um, is that we know that there are a lot of um, a lot of utilities that uh, that aren't mitigating those those risks, um, and historically it might not have even had to because the operational technology, right, the 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 logic controller for a particular pump or process might not have been connected to the open internet, whereas whereas now that's that's increasingly common. Yeah. So let me ask you this. If, if these were simple attacks, they should have been simple to defend against. So why is cybersecurity so difficult for utilities? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, of course, all your listeners will know that, um, that there's rate pressure uh, on, on all, the, all the utilities. And so if you are unable to generate more revenue, then you're limited in what you can reinvest within the utility itself. We also know that one, uh, one, one difficulty is that a lot, a lot of our utilities are very, very small. The vast majority of, of water utilities only serve a, a few thousand people. And there are so many different ones in the United States, uh, it's hard for them to consolidate the, the, the resources, the cybersecurity technical expertise um, that, would prevent, that would prevent this sort of um, – that would pre- prevent these these sorts of attacks. I'm a lawyer, and so I think we also have to recognize that there's also very few regulatory requirements. So if uh, when when I'm talking to utilities and they they very strictly ask me what what is required under the law, well, there's there's little uh, prescriptive requirements on the utilities at this at this time. Um, we also see that there are a lot of legacy systems that are are difficult to to upgrade and uh, may not be using um, the, uh, the the most up to date um, tools that might provide stronger cybersecurity. Yeah, and I think the upgrade also it feeds right back into that that rate pressure argument, right? You can't we can't upgrade because we don't have the money and the budget, and we need to raise rates. I, what about the, the 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 notion that some some utility leadership might be out there thinking I'm just a small utility in the middle of northern Kentucky or southern Indiana and no one's going to attack me. Yeah, that's right. It it reminds me. So I I grew up in a small town in eastern Kentucky and I grew up hearing that uh that had there ever been a nuclear war between the United States and the Soviet Union that we were likely to be attacked, um, our little town, because of the munitions that were stored at the Bluegrass Army Depot. As I got a little older, I learned that that story is repeated in small towns across the United States. Everyone has something really special that 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 might have been on the on the list uh, had the attacks gotten that severe. Um, and while there was a very real threat, it 
also was a very uh, it would have been a very big catastrophic event, right? A, a, a nuclear bomb crossing crossing our borders. With the internet, the attacks are are far more subtle and um, uh, in a sense much easier to perform. So if you're a a small municipality, um, a small water utility, uh, you still have something precious, a precious resource, a frankly political resource um, that uh, that could be a target. And you are as findable as as anybody else that uh, these these threat actors use tools to scan um, to scan the, the the technologies that are that are connected to the Internet um, any way they can. And so uh, it's it's really trivial to look for a very specific type of controller as um, as Cyber Avengers did and uh, find all of them uh, that are that are connected at, at any given time. And so uh, it's not that they would make a list that says, OK, what are our top 10 targets uh, like a nation state at war might? It would instead be, OK, what what vulnerabilities can we find? And and once we found them, oh, this one is at a water utility. Fantastic. Uh, it, it's not that they would start by by looking for a, a particular geographic location. Right, right. So let's let's delve into what what are some of the unique utility vulnerabilities that these threat actors, once they identify, you know, a, a, a set of targets, what they might go after. Right. So we talked about those uh, programmable logic controllers, and, and that's part of um, the broader industrial control systems, or uh, really the operational technology. So like um, manufacturers, like power utilities, um, we have to worry about this operational technology. It's any piece of technology um, that is, uh, is, is processing um, the water. And that's distinct from, let's say, the information technology. The way you and I are talking right now over our computers David, these are these computers were were built to pass information, to pass data, um, to process data and pass it back and forth. The operational technology uh, uh, is instead built to to pump, purify, sanitize, process, process um, the water. The big risk for water utilities is at that intersection between the in information technology and the operational technology, because you could have a pump house that is completely disconnected um, from uh, 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 from the internet, completely unable to be uh, to be accessed remotely and therefore attacked remotely, um, or you could integrate it um, with your communication technologies so that uh, it could be remotely accessed. And it's that integration that poses the risk. Water utilities have to be very careful that they set their networks up properly, that they segment between their information technology and their operational technology, and they limit the access to that operational technology. Um, had those programmable logic controllers not had, uh, had they not changed their default credentials, but the only way to access them was in the plant then that might still be okay, right? Because you have physical access controls. Uh, you have to you have to have someone who has physical access um, 
to the to the operational technology itself. Whereas if you uh, don't properly protect it once you connect it to your information technology, uh, it becomes much more of a risk for you. So let's turn to to the actual regulations. I know you mentioned earlier that lack of regulatory requirements is one of the drivers for not implementing cybersecurity measures. What are some of the key regulations and requirements that utilities need to be aware of, though? Yeah, I, I first want to start with, I guess, the, the, the regulation that isn't, just because last year we had a, a, a really uh, up and down <laughs> experience. In March, the EPA released a, a memo interpreting the Safe Drinking Water Act um, that essentially said that, that states must evaluate the cybersecurity of that operational technology that's used by a public water system through their regular sanitary survey, through their, their, their regular review through the state programs. Um, and uh, the EPA received a lot of pushback from the states, from water utility industry associations, um, was, was sued over this interpretation saying that um, that that since the state is doing an on-site review of their equipment, that they need to evaluate the cybersecurity. And the EPA backed down. The EPA actually withdrew this interpretation in October of last year. So it looked like we were moving toward um, some some regulation that would that would impact uh, all U.S.-based water utilities that would be enforced by the state. And then it and 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 now it is is not there i think that there's a uh certainly a recognition across the industry um that there there do need to be requirements but there is going to be a, a long discussion and at time possibly uh, a heated discussion about what those requirements actually are however there there are still some um some some legal considerations for uh utilities uh Two years ago, Congress passed the the Cyber Incident Reporting for Critical Infrastructure Act, and it establishes a 72-hour reporting window for cybersecurity incidents. This came in the wake of, if you remember, the Colonial Pipeline uh, that um, uh, disrupted the the gas supply to the Southeast United States. Uh, They were uh, attacked um, and uh, working to restore uh, their, their, their services. Uh, potentially paying a ransom, and uh, there was no requirement that they speak to any federal regulator about that um, at at the time. At least that's what what many believed. So this clarifies and puts a a uh, a very tight timeline on when you must notify um, uh, your federal regulator uh, in the event of a cyber attack. Now, CISA is still in their rulemaking process. We expect to see their rules any time now uh, that will provide a lot more specifics around that. But right now, uh, I think all water utilities need to be aware of a very tight turnaround between learning that uh, that something that a threat actor has infiltrated their system uh, and providing notice uh, to their regulators, likely their state and federal uh, regulators. Um, speaking of, most states also have uh, affirmative reporting obligations uh, for their utilities. 
Um, and uh, it's very important. It's very important to know those laws in advance because you won't be looking them up uh, when you're in crisis mode, uh, uh, trying to um, remediate the, the the threat that's currently going on in your in your system. There's also the uh, the Water Infrastructure Act, um, which uh, which requires cybersecurity risk assessments and emergency response plans for uh, potential vulnerabilities. Uh, we haven't seen enforcement around this, um, uh, and uh, uh, there there may be um, limits to how it could be uh, uh, enforced, but it is still a a statute that could be held up by um, uh, by plaintiffs, by regulatory agencies, to demonstrate what your duty of care is, that you need to be doing risk assessments regularly uh, and building building response based on those risk assessments. Okay, terrific. So when you were kind of going through there and throughout the course of this, this our, our discussion today, you've used a couple of acronyms uh, that is starting, I'm starting to get like Telecommunications Act of 1996 vibes where we have ILEX and CLEX and you know, all these, all these, this acronym soup. And so I've heard NIST, CISA, and some others. Could you, could you just run down who, what, what these uh, acronyms stand for and what, what they mean? Absolutely. So CISA is the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Um, it is an agency that anyone in the water utility industry needs to be paying a lot of attention to. Now, they're not a primary regulator, but they have, uh, coextensive authority with other with other federal regulators, and more importantly, they have a lot of fantastic resources and information for um, for any organization uh, in that's part of the U.S. critical infrastructure. And certainly, water utilities are part of that. Um, so, as there are new uh, known threats, CISA is going to be communicating those threats. As there are resources from the federal government. Uh, for water utilities and and other parts of U.S. critical infrastructure, CIS is going to be providing um, providing those resources. So there should be someone in all utility organizations monitoring CISA um, to make sure that that you have a good understanding of the threat landscape uh, in the United States, as well as um, understanding the resources available to you. Um, NIST is the National Institute for Standards and Technology, uh, and they provide um, resources for uh, utilities, for federal agencies, um, uh, around all sorts of things, including cybersecurity. NIST also has very good resources um, uh, and a, a really a comprehensive framework for critical infrastructure cybersecurity that is completely free to access on its website. All your all your listeners should be monitoring uh, NIST and and CISA resources. Kyle, you and I have gone through a number of of cases where we've we've kind of gone through the checklist of cybersecurity measures that a, a a utility ought to take for their you know to update their cyber hygiene, so to speak. I don't want to go through you know go through a laundry list of that stuff, but I. With all the regulations, with kind of the, the the moving nature of of where we're going from a cybersecurity perspective, and and without being, you know, giving a commercial, so to speak, can you can you t- 
talk about why it's important to enlist a data privacy lawyer uh, for utility cybersecurity hygiene. Absolutely. So the the technical cybersecurity resources are are absolutely necessary uh, in protecting your organization. Um, however, the attorneys are the ones that are going to be interfacing with regulators. They're going to be interfacing with um, potentially plaintiffs. They're going to be interfacing with other state agencies and utilities. And we're, we, we see the, the threat landscape not just as what the technical threats are and the threats um, from the threat actors are, but also the legal risks, the legal threats to your to your organ, organization and know the legal requirements. So uh, the 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 cybersecurity technical resources that you might bring in in an incident um, should be fantastic at remediating the cyber threat. But there are many other requirements, such as reporting requirements, notification requirements, um, that a, an attorney is going to be able to help you with. Additionally. Uh, Good counsel uh, should be able to provide good advice on how to mitigate not just your your cyber risk, but the risk to your overall organization, understanding how your organization runs um, and, uh, and 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 what the, the the business threats to the to the utility would be as well. Yeah, does attorney client privilege play a role in in that? I mean, you mentioned plaintiffs. So if a utility gets sued because of a cyber incident, is the attorney-client privilege an important aspect of, of counsel? It certainly is. As cybersecurity attorneys, we will often uh, run the investigation for you. So, if you had something at your utility um, that you would you would like to have investigated by counsel, whether that's a labor dispute, accusations of uh, improperly using funds, accusations of sexual harassment, you say, well, I need an investigation. You would often turn to counsel for that investigation because you need good advice and you need that advice provided confidentially. That's true with uh, a cyber incident as well. We need to know what happened. We need to know how to rem uh, uh, rem remedy it. We need to move, we need to move quickly and you want counsel to be able to be provided to you confidentially, uh, uh, with the attorney-client privilege in confidence, so that you can, um, so that you can learn all the facts, um, and uh, and then plan the best course of action. Got it, Kyle. You've been you've been absolutely fantastic today. Um, again, we didn't get into like specifics of 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 you know what you should what utilities need to do uh, in order to achieve cyber hygiene. I think there's plenty of resources out on the web. Um, and from CISA and NIST. Uh, but you've been, I think, very helpful in illuminating a lot of the bigger picture issues uh, that utilities need to take advantage of from or, or take into heart when they're looking at cybersecurity issues. Do you, before we before we say goodbye today, do you have like a, a leave-behind message for utilities that you'd like to share? Yeah. So first off, we, we, we talked about changing default passwords. That's the... Uh, that, that's a fantastic first step. Uh, an, another way to mitigate risk that um, that would have mitigated many or prevented a lot of uh, attacks I've worked is implementing multi-factor authentication. It's not a panacea. Uh, it's not perfect, 
but it makes the attacker's job much harder if that's implemented um, properly. Uh, like we said, pay very close attention uh, to uh, what your information technology accesses and what your operational technology uh, accesses. I know you asked me, asked me for one for one word, but now it's all it's all coming out. All, all <laughs> the things that I want, I want you all I want you all to know. I want you all to say. Also, I, I want the utilities to know that they're not alone, right? We started off by saying there are a lot of small utilities with limited resources. However, in, in the last year, the U.S. federal government has provided um, a, a lot more resources to utilities, including uh, CISA, also including the EPA. Um, the EPA provides cybersecurity assessments. They, they will evaluate um, cybersecurity programs as, as well if asked. So there are uh, there are programs that are are free um, that that utilities could use uh, to strengthen uh, to strengthen their systems um, that are available to them. Great. Well, Kyle, you've been fantastic. I've I've really enjoyed the conversation. I I think the cybersecurity field is something that utilities really need to take seriously, and um, you know it's it's not something that can be put off. This isn't deferred maintenance. This is this is putting systems at risk. So I really appreciate you kind of illuminating the, the issues for us. Uh, for those who want to find out more about you and your work, where can people go to get that information? Absolutely. So uh, I'm a partner at Denton's. So at Denton's.com, uh, you can you, you can look up any any of the attorneys, and including me, uh, searching Kyle Miller Denton's on uh, any public search engine, which should probably get you there. You're also welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn uh, at LinkedIn.com slash IN slash Kyle William Miller. Um, and I'd be, be happy to talk to you there too. Great. Well, again, Kyle, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And we will talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Thank you, Dave. Kyle was absolutely fantastic. So happy he was able to come on and share his wealth of experience and knowledge in the world of cybersecurity. So much appreciated, Kyle. Thank you so much. Well, I'd love to know what you, the listener, thought about the interview. Please check out the show notes page for information and links in this episode. Just Google the Water Values Podcast. Click the first link that comes up. That's our home on the web that Bluefield Research gives us. As you well know, Bluefield Research and the Water Values LLC are not affiliated entities. We just have a joint marketing arrangement. And as part of that, the Water Values gets a home on the web on Bluefield's site. So thanks, guys. You can also email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com. You can sign up for the newsletter at that landing page as well. Well, thank you again for tuning in, and I hope you make it a great day. Plus, I want to give a huge thank you to our sponsors. Again, sponsors of the podcast include the American Waterworks Association, Black & Veatch, 120 Water, 1898 & Co., Woodard & Curran, Interra, and Xylem. And this show would not be possible without those fantastic companies, and industry leaders. And thank you again for listening to the Water Values Podcast, and thank you for subscribing to the Water Values Podcast. Your support is truly appreciated. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it.
You've been listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.